Ten, ten, ten. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty. Thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty, forty-one, forty-two, forty-three, forty-four, forty-five, forty-six, forty-seven, forty-eight, forty-nine, fifty. Fifty-one, fifty-two, fifty-three, fifty-four, fifty-five, fifty-six, fifty-seven, fifty-eight, fifty-nine, sixty, sixty-one, sixty-two, sixty-three, sixty-four, sixty-five, sixty-six, ninety-four, ninety-five, ninety-six, ninety-seven, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, one hundred. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss, in its entirety, issue number 100 of X-Men, the August 1976 issue titled, Greater Love Hath No X-Man. Ooh, that sounds vaguely Shakespearean. That sounds vaguely lame. (laughs) Well, that's one way of putting it. This episode is especially dedicated to one of our fellow listeners, Mr. Holden Atreides, our our buddy who uh, has done a number of things for us in the last couple of weeks and months, I should say. And I just wanted to give him a special shout out. For starters, a late Christmas present arrived on my doorstep the other week. Can you guess what it was, Adam? A gigantic phallic statue of a mars attacks creature well it is gigantic and it is phallic and it is a statue no it's a gigantic sentinel it's the one that i was talking about right around christmas time hey you know what uh mr holden atreides i i got something that i want (laughs) let's see there's a website that sells statues and they have a life-size <laughs> T-800 from Terminator. And it's only $1,500. So if you can get me that, dude, I don't know. You can co-host. I <laughs> <laughs> just kicked Jeremy off the show. Be like, it's Adam and Holden's show now. And the T-800. <laughs> you, you might have to get some other listeners to pitch in for that. Oh, I, I'd pitch in 20 bucks to get you that T-800. <laughs> <laughs> It's life-size, and it's probably extraordinarily heavy. That'd be awesome. (laughs) You could carpool with that thing. Put it in your car, get all the carpool (laughs) lanes. I don't think it moves. You'd have to, like, lay it (laughs) over the into the back seat or something. (laughs) Well, okay. And then the other reason that we wanted to shout out Mr. Atreides was his featuring us in his online photorealistic comic book, The Alaska Initiative, which is at alaskainitiative.com. Uh, maybe. (laughs) 
if uh, just do a Google for Alaska Initiative, it's the first link. You will, you will you will totally find it. I will look it up right now. Why don't you vamp for a second? In it, Adam and I, as well as Adam's dog, are featured as uh, cameo characters, and I hope we have a reoccurring role as goofy newscasters. It was, it's great that we got to be newscasters, which means we could totally be a recurring role. It's very exciting. Yes, it is alaskainitiative.com, and it's awesome. Yeah, everybody check it out. They're on uh, episode number four, and uh, i got to be honest, they put a lot of work into it. The characters look good. They got uh, mask designs by a certain company. I don't remember what, but like they actually have some budget that they're putting into it, or donations, one of the two. There's Horseman. <laughs> Horseman's pretty cool. There's Snow Girl. Okay, I don't remember any of the names. <laughs> Her name was like Arctica or something like that. And then there was ah. I just I just read the issue earlier today because we were in it. But but I, I, I read it quite a while yeah. ago. So so everybody go check that out. Good stuff. Uh, and thank you very much, Holden. Yes, we now return to our regularly scheduled podcast featuring at last the spectacular hundredth issue of X Men. X Men versus X Men in a battle to the death. Betrayed by Professor X. The cover of this comic book is fairly misleading, but <laughs> that's okay. It's very similar to the last page of the last issue. I have to say that I actually have a t-shirt that features this cover, and I'm wearing it right now. You know what's interesting is it's actually the reverse. Are you? <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. It's actually the reverse uh, image of the prior issue. It's Iceman is in the background, and he was in the foreground. And Wolverine was in the foreground, and now he's in the background. Yeah, but Banshee and Nightcrawler are transposed. Yeah, some people are swapped. Beast, Beast and Angel are also swapped. Yeah. It is interesting. Professor X is on his feet. Yes, and his uh, real chair is all smashed up behind him. Uh, and he is standing, I guess it should be noted. And his tie is floating in the wind. He is angry. He is not that old man we saw in X-Men number one with a little blanket over his legs. He's a young, virile Professor X. Come find me, my X-Men. I need a coffee. <laughs> I'm tired. Please change me, Marvel Girl. <laughs> one thing I wanted to point out here, or I guess I had read in uh, one of the Marvel masterworks, uh, is that... Chris had very little time to prepare for this, but he oh, yeah. knew he had to do something for the 100th issue. You know, since X-Men restarted at 94, he only had uh, six issues to prepare for it. So I don't know if it was like a half apology for what he handed in or like, hey, we did good, all things considered. And I'm not, it's not a, that's not a, t a testament of the story at all, but it was just something to, to, to note that while it is the 100th or issue, it, realistically, it's only the 70th original story. Right, which is probably why it's not double-sized or anything like that. Or maybe they just didn't do that in 76. Have no idea. Anyways, let's let's open this thing up. It's Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum. Annette K is lettering, Bonnie W is coloring, and Marv Wolfman is still editing. <laughs> do you think he's related to Wolfman Jack? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> we probably have mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again. At the very top, it says Stanley presents the Uncanny X-Men, which it has done since issue 95. I find that intriguing that the uh, the title is not yet Uncanny X-Men, but they're already presenting this as Uncanny X-Men. Oh, but has it said the Uncanny this whole time? Oh, it has. Like the last... Yeah, since, since 95. 
Okay. 94 did not, and 95 did. Okay. Uh, and then when did the Stanley Presents pick pick up? That's in 94, but I don't know. I, I thought every Marvel comic was Stanley Presents. And in fact, uh, giant-sized X-Men number one also says Stanley Presents the Uncanny X-Men. Oh, yeah, it does. You're right. I think that is a Marvel standard, Stanley Presents. I think it's... I'm just curious, like, did we miss its birth? Because at some point, Stanley was writing, and it was not Stanley Presents. Probably, yeah, when he became editor-in-chief or something. Yeah, well, anyways, some, somebody out there could probably just tell us that, so we'll move on. <laughs> we have a uh, uh, a very angry Stephen Lang shaking his fists uh, in, in triumph as he sees the old X-Men battling the new X-Men on a giant Vizzy screen behind him. Indeed, and... Uh... In the foreground, it's like Marvel Girl's legs or something. It's very strange. Is it? Or maybe it's Cyclops's shoulder? Where do you see that? In the very front on the right, behind all the word balloons. If you if you look, it's like an arm. Oh. Uh, blue, and then there's a glove. I thought at first it was a uh, like boots or something, but it's a yellow glove. Oh, see, mine's colored differently. I have like a gray with a black shadow so I, I have no color here looking at it you would think it's just a shadow and in fact it says jv332 remember we were talking about the jvs a couple of episodes ago oh yeah huh i don't know what that means yet but so jesus is now fighting 332 <laughs> jesus versus 332 yeah so uh in mine uh by the way I'm, I'm reading the classic marvel masterworks mine is colored differently and that doesn't look like anything to me Huh. Yeah. yeah. I think we've discussed this before, but I think the omnibuses are recolored, but to match the original colors. Yeah. We turn the page and we get an awesome double page spread. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, well, I don't know if it's awesome, but it's two pages, that's for sure. Angel is attacking Banshee. Cyclops is shooting at Storm and Nightcrawler. Colossus is punching Havoc. Wait, where did Havoc come from? He wasn't on the cover. He wasn't in the last panel of the last issue, and he wasn't on the first page. Havoc and Polaris just showed up. They're not in the lineup. They're relegated to backup people. <laughs> uh, maybe Eric the Red flew them in at the last moment and said, Oh, here you go. You're needed. Yeah. Uh, Polaris is back there doing nothing. Iceman is hurling a snowball at the Wolverine's he face. He says, Heads up, midget splot it goes <laughs> the professor is in the corner egging them all on kill them imposters my x-men kill them all kill them all marvel girl is also doing nothing. yeah just gonna point that out lorna and marvel girl are just doing nothing uh, maybe marvel girl's guiding the snowball because oh. iceman would have missed that's good point <laughs> So then we flip into a very odd exchange between Nightcrawler and Beast, uh, where they're fighting, and I guess maybe because they're evenly, uh, acrobatically matched or something. But Chris really tries hard to write classic Beast dialogue, and it's painful. <laughs> so, like, there's a back and forth uh, where Nightcrawler's like, but I, but I thought you had gone all hairy and joined the vent. That was a Scottish accent. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. To leave her. I can't even do it. Uh, and Beast is like, you anthropomorphic elf. The bashful beast has never been here suit. I don't even know what that word is. It means hairy. H-I-R-S-U-T-E. 
And then he goes on and says, and as for the rest, and Nightcrawler jumps in and says, they threw you out? Ulp. Which is an assumption on Nightcrawler's part. I guess. <laughs> and then uh, he keeps going, sorry, my friend, but since you will not come to me, the beast and his dexterous digits must of surety come to you. And you're like, God, you know, Beast, while he had a painful speak, was never that painful. Well, I feel like Chris is, or, or not even Chris, but the the comic is just trying to make sure that we, the audience, are aware that these are the original X-Men. They're doing everything in their power to say, look, they're totally the real X-Men. <laughs> even though Beast is not Harry. <laughs> right. He's acting just like Beast. He He's totally the Beast. Right, but it's... Uh, yeah, maybe it's because the previous X-Men issues are so fresh in our heads that it's very easy to call this out as bad Beast dialogue. <laughs> but yes, I, I understand what you're saying. But regardless, Beast knocks Nightcrawler into Cyclops's back. I guess it should be pointed out that Cyclops... Well, Nightcrawler realizes it at this point as well that Cyclops is wearing his classic headgear and not the newer, bigger headgear. Yeah, first he noticed that Beast is not hairy, then he noticed that Cyclops is wearing his wrong visor. And Nightcrawler, meanwhile, is not doing any teleporting. No, he's not. He's actually pretty useless uh, so far. <laughs> so then uh, uh, the Wolverine and the Iceman, they go toe-to-toe. Iceman does his typical move and freezes Wolverine, who does the typical <laughs> response and busts out. And Angel picks up Wolverine and tosses him into Colossus. And Colossus says, Wolverine, did you hear the hatred in his voice? Did you hear? I heard it already. Now get us out of here, Colossus. And then they do the very first, oh. okay, just like we did it in the danger room. Ooh, they did it in the danger room. Ooh, sexy. <laughs> the fastball special. Execute. Wait for it. Wait for now. it. What the, says Angel. And Colossus picks up Wolverine, throws him at Angel, and Angel is stabbed to death. He's dead. Uh, Wolverine's got these weird claw things, just like he had in the last panel of the last issue, where they're super knifey looking. They look way too big for his hands. They actually fluctuate, because if you go to the previous page, the double page spread, they are not like that. Hmm. I guess D Dave Cockrum just quite ha hasn't quite figured out how he wants to do these claws. So I have a minor problem with this. It's awesome that they introduced the fastball special. Yep. However, Colossus throws Wolverine. We turn the page, and Wolverine disappears. We never see what happens. <laughs> yeah, we don't actually see the outcome. What we do see, though, is Havoc deliver some words about something, and then he says, uh, from here, I'm going to blast you from here to Hades. All you have to do is cry Havoc, and he blasts Colossus with his Havoc powers. Which is painful for Colossus. He is surprised about feeling pain. Wolverine, meanwhile, is in the background going, You throw me too far! <laughs> I'm in the atmosphere! We're out of the atmosphere. So Colossus goes on and talks about, I know who you are. You're the assassin. And I'm coming for you. And I won't be stopped. He just keeps going on and on. And he says, you're a butcher. And you tried to kill us. And I won't have you killing us. And you will butcher nobody anymore. And he just keeps going on and on. Did I mention my name is Colossus? Yeah, it's like three panels of him talking about how he's just not going to put up with Havoc's crap anymore. <laughs> he does mention his Colossus twice. Does he? <laughs> yeah. uh, which, I mean, you know... 
We know that from their first encounter that Colossus probably has only hung out with Havok twice. Once on their first mission, and then once when Havok and Polaris were trying to attack them. But we also know that they are slightly in control, being controlled by Eric the Red. So, I don't know, all this butchery and butcher and those kind of comments seem kind of unwarranted. Nobody filled uh, Colossus in on the whole Eric the Red thing. Was he not there? No, he he was there. He just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> oh. Nobody bothered telling him. There was no mission debrief. Oh, and by the way, everybody, Havoc and Lorna, probably not bad, probably just taken over by, by uh, Eric the Red. Well, there was that whole gap in the Christmas issue, too, where it was like, ah, uh, Havoc just tried to kill us. My brother just tried to kill us. Man, that stinks. <laughs> Earlier on in the this particular issue, uh, one of the classic X-Men uh, calls Banshee out and says, you're a crook. How can you be here and be an X-Man? Oh, do they? I missed that. Uh, it's on the double page spread. Angel says something like, you've got one heck of a nerve, Banshee. Where does a two-bit crook like you get off call himself an X-Man? Uh, you know, I didn't even take that literally. That's funny. Mm. Well, I mean, because Banshee was a, a controlled bad guy for like one issue. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but he's had to carry that burden ever since. He did steal those cigarettes once. Oh, yeah. And, and some whiskey, if, I don't, if I'm not mistaken. And a painting. <laughs> That's right. Well, that's right, because he's a classy thief. Right. Well, so anyways, Storm and Marvel Girl now go at it, and uh, not in the sexy good way. No, they start fighting. But we do get a little bit of uh, backstory on them where it's like, what about all those hours we spent with each other? On the couch. On the couch, holding hands, and then finally making out. And Marvel Girl's all like, I don't know who you are, lady. Then she distracts uh, Storm for a little bit longer, giving uh, Lorna Dane, and they call her Lorna, they don't call her Polaris here, the opportunity to shoot or uh, Storm in the back. Indeed, and uh, Storm is down for the count. Her legs are pinned under debris. Yep. But then, with a mighty ee, Marvel Girl and Polaris are attacked from behind by who? <gasps> Can only be... Colossus green shouting. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Banshee. They're running away from the new X-Men. Banshee says something here that, uh, thank the Lord that Banshee doesn't hold with killing. <laughs> Storm calls out to Colossus about her leg. Storm's like, don't be afraid. Because maybe they have some sort of romantic thing going on. We don't really know. Our only chance is to fight as a team, and where the blazes is Wolverine got to? Finally, somebody notices that Colossus overthrew Wolverine. <laughs> it's got to be, I mean, what? somebody should put Banshee in charge. He's the oldest, and he seems to be the only one that pays attention to things. But uh, Wolverine is over heading towards Xavier, because I guess he realizes that if he can stop the head man, perhaps he can stop all of this madness. And he physically threatens the professor, at which point the professor stands out of his wheelchair, which I guess scares the crap out of Wolverine. Yep. And then the professor decks him. <laughs> well, the professor starts out, and he's like, one of my mind blasts ought to take care of you, but my fist contains all the power you deserve. And the professor lays Wolverine out. Not an easy thing to do. No. Punches him. He's on the back. He's on his back. 
And that's when Marvel Girl gets in on the action and uses some of her telekinesis. I guess it should also be pointed out that a little earlier, Storm noticed that Marvel Girl's powers aren't quite up to the levels that they have been recently. She seems to be slightly weaker. So, so far, every single member of this team, there's something off about them of the old X-Men. But that doesn't stop Marvel Girl from using whatever telekinetic powers or uh, telepathic powers she has here on Wolverine to basically block all of his sights. So he can't see, but that's when he starts going off about uh, there's only one thing left, his instincts. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the ticket, my instincts. My senses! I forgot I had these! <laughs> yes, Wolverine coming into his own at the worst possible time. <laughs> yep. It won't be long now, Professor. Right there, lady. Only you got it backwards. Just couldn't see till now. You see, folks, I'm like an animal. I don't know from faces. I know from sense, voices, feelings. I also know Jean Grey. And lady, whatever you are, you ain't Jean Grey. God, that hurt my throat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can do that voice anymore. And he totally stabs her. But it's just weird because, like, Wolverine is like, you know, you see, folks, I'm like an animal. Except I wasn't until a few seconds ago. <laughs> Before, I was just a dude with claws. <laughs> it's like Wolverine just finally figured out his powers. Yeah, some sort of second mutation type thing. <laughs> Whoa. My senses rock. This is amazing. <laughs> I can smell what you are, and you ain't who you say you is. So he stabs the crap out of Marvel Girl, and uh, there isn't even time for a scream. Nope. Uh, the rest of the X-Men look shocked, including uh, Cyclops, who is about to get punched in the face by Colossus. And then, okay, I have a problem with this panel, too. Stephen Lang is watching the whole thing on his giant Vizzy screen. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, he is viewing an extreme close-up of Banshee. Yeah. It's like, what does he have, a camera zoomed in on Banshee? He's like, I'm just going to watch Banshee. And he's like, computer, shift to camera three immediately. I needed to watch camera two because it's got Banshee, and he's my favorite member, and he's <laughs> kind of cute. But no, I need to know what's going on. Why is he watching just Banshee? That's ridiculous. Especially since Banshee hasn't done anything for about two pages now. <laughs> Basically, all of that other stuff, like the professor clocking Wolverine, uh, Steven didn't see. <laughs> right. This is terrible. He's like, Banshee's about to do something. I just know it. Hold. Hold. <laughs> Damn it. What's going on on camera three? Switch. Switch. Oh, my God. Well, that's when we find out what Wolverine already knew, that he hasn't done anything. He's met the enemy, bub, and they ain't us. And we get another double-page spread of Stephen Lang standing in the middle. He's he's divided right down the middle of the two pages, and he's he's got a very open, powerful, manly, uh, confident pose. Mm -hmm. he's, he's spread out his whole body. He's the king of the animal kingdom, and he's saying, "How by all that's holy, how could this be? My ex-Sentinels were a stroke of genius, the ultimate in anti-mutant technology. They should have been unbeatable. Well, we should point out that Marvel Girl that, that Wolverine just laid out, I mean, her guts are spilled out, but her guts are made out of electronics. In other words, she's a robot. Oh, yes. Good point. <laughs> we should definitely have mentioned that. <laughs> Uh, yes, and Stephen Lang's pose, I mean, I like your description, but I like to simply say he looks a little bit like an angry Leonardo DiCaprio on the front of the Titanic. 
<laughs> he is. I'm the king of the world. He thought he was the king of the world until he realized he wasn't, and that's why he's angry. And then he's all just whiny. They should have been unbeatable. The new X Men should have died. Not my Sentinels. And the X Men will die, for this game is far from over. And then <laughs> everybody's just staring at him like, what the heck? <laughs> this guy's nuts. We just witnessed a man having a breakdown. Well, we get a little bit of backstory, and apparently Stephen Lang was the head of a government project that was trying to determine why mutants exist, and it looks like he's got the Vanisher on a table there that they're yeah. studying. Totally the Vanisher. But then he got access to Larry Trask's upstate New York base, so that would be the base from what, like issue 14 or 15 of X-Men? Oh, no, that would be Bolivar Trask's, so it must be the later version. Oh, Larry's was the uh, plateau or whatever that was uh, for the hill thing, right? Right. Well, yeah. he had two. He had the uh, the Australia one, and he had the one in New York that was like a mountain that could like raise and lower. I don't remember. Whatever. Right one on, of those right bases. On. And there's a sentinel in the background, and apparently Stephen Lang grabbed the plans. They were somewhat incomplete, uh, as we learned. That's why they were so weak. And then he uh, struck a deal with the Council of the Chosen. And I got to ask, are these the same guys from Captain America? I don't know. I was wondering that, too. And I also have to wonder, did the Council of the Chosen ever return? I have no idea. That's why I was wondering if they tied into those guys. But those guys were like number one and number seven and number two. These guys have the hoods, but they don't have any numbers on their foreheads. According to the MarvelWikia.com, the Council of the Chosen, this is their first appearance, and they are actually the Hellfire Club. Oh, well, that would make sense. So they would, I guess, later become the Hellfire Club? We haven't read the classic X-Men story that shows this, but I have to imagine that's where it'll happen, don't you think? Right. <laughs> uh, I don't recall them ever taking off their hoods and being like, I'm Sebastian Shaw. Well, I guess it could be the human Hellfire Club, too. I'm reading from the Wikipedia here. Unbeknownst to most members of the club, the organization was ruled by a council of the chosen. The secret group assumed the titles of chess pieces. Originally, the Council of the Chosen was composed of normal humans, but was slowly infiltrated and dominated by superpowered mutants of various abilities. Okay. Well, so anyways, uh, he got the money and the material that he needed from the Council of the Chosen, and uh, he his plan was to betray them for some reason, I guess. I don't know why. Uh, oh, I know why, because the Hellfire Club, as we've established in some of the classic X-Men tales, was trying to help them establish what the mutant gene was so that they could create their own mutants at will. Whereas Stephen Lang has never hidden his intentions to us, the reader, but his goal is complete mutant extermination. Which he says in the next panel. Yeah. And it's at this point that uh, Cyclops has gone on a power overload. Actually, I should also point out that every close-up of Stephen Lang shows that one of his teeth has been knocked out. So I think Cyclops did this last issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because his face is all messed up. Yeah. It's just cool that they keep that in there. Uh, go back the, to the page, the double page spread, and, and the last panel features um, the, the X-Sentinels, the original X-Men, destroying the Statue of Liberty and running away. <laughs> when did that happen? That, well, that was his plan. Like, first they were going to kill the new X-Men, and then they were going to kill the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> I simply hate that statue! <laughs> I have no idea. It's symbolic of something, but 
he said that uh, he was going to control mutant kind. They wanted to control mutant kind for their own benefit. I simply wanted you all dead. And what more ironic means than the X Sentinels? Okay, so so far, I mean, I I, I like the story and everything, and I. Eh, I don't know about this story. It's kind of cheesy to bring back the old X-Men, but I get what they're trying to do. They're they're doing a new versus old to settle the the score once and for all. Who's better, maybe? But we don't really see what the motivation behind Stephen Lang is here or anywhere in this comic. Like, Larry and uh, Bolivar Trask had their reasons. They, you know, they weren't great reasons, but at least they had reasons. Stephen Lang has no reasons. Well, he read some serious documentation that convinced him that the mutants were bad. I received a panel from a young Bolivar Trask, and I was like, ooh, this guy really speaks to me. I'll kill those mutants. Pretty much. Yeah, we don't get, we don't really get any details. We just have to fill in the blanks for ourselves. We also learned that the tubes that the uh, Professor Marvel Girl and Cyclops and Peter Corbo are in are called negatubes. Negatubes? Negatubes? I think they're negatubes. Negatubes is much better than negatubes. <laughs> I honestly had no idea how to pronounce that when I first saw it. I was like, negatube. Well, anyways, in the negatube, the Cyclops has had so much that his power apparently goes on overcharge and he is able to blast out of his tube. Which all happens behind Stephen Lang's back and he only notices at the last second. And that's when Cyclops handily destroys the other three negatubes. The professor nearly slumps over because he's unconscious, but Peter Corbo catches him. And Stephen Lang takes off running over to his flying gunship. Yes. Which is a, a one-seater flying capsule with a gun. These guys, this guy has so much money. He has uh, a space station. He has <laughs> Sentinels. He has ex-Sentinels. And he's got a one-man uh, weirdly propulsed spaceship that he can fly around inside of his space station, and it has lasers that he can shoot at X-Men. It's ridiculous. It's so small and puny, and it's just like, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that, I mean, if we were to build that in today's economy, it'd be like a $12 billion piece of machinery. Totally. It's like a Jetson car, actually. It totally is. Like, you expect it to fold up into George's suitcase. <laughs> Meet Stephen Lang. <laughs> he hates <laughs> mutants. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so he's flying around shooting at the, uh, I guess, Cyclops and, and Marvel Girl. In the background of all the panels on this page, or almost all the panels of this page, we see the Vizzy screen where the new X-Men are making short work of the old X-Men destroying the, the crap out of them. No, oh, just blowing them to pieces. Meanwhile, Cyclops is like, you'd hound us without mercy, exterminate us for no other reason than we're different from your conception of humanity. Just who do you think you are? Then Marvel girl starts taking over the controls of the flying gunship with her telekinesis. You won't be killing anyone today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Stephen Lang's all like, my controls, they're moving out of control. He tries to be stronger than her control, but then the controls get jammed. I can't turn. Help me, somebody. X-Men, help me. I'm heading right for the screen. I'm going to crash, crash is the noise it makes. And Stephen Lang's little Jetson's car explodes, killing 
Dr. Stephen Lang. Maybe. We we never see the body, so we have to we have to assume that he's dead. Yep. And it's at this point that Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Banshee bust through the wall and meet up with Marvel Girl and Cyclops. Comrades, I've found them, and they are still they still live. And this is where the comic book gets good. <laughs> It'll only last for four pages, but it starts getting good. Peter Corbo, he says, look, uh, I don't know how we're going to get home, because you remember we flew the rocket into the side of the space station. There's a big hole in the front. There's solar flares outside. The controls are all busted. I can't fly this thing because I will die if I try to go in, and none of you can fly it. What are we going to do? And that's the least of their problems, because even if they are able to fly it, they're going to fly right through the the radioactive solar flare. Mm-hmm. It's a mess outside. Which asks, I mean, there must have been, like, uh, Stephen Lang must have had some sort of a plan for how he's going to get back to Earth, right? Well, Stephen Lang didn't need a plan to get back to Earth. Why not? Because he was just going to hang out in the space station. <laughs> Now that I've killed the X-Men, I can, I've can. i got plenty of supplies up here. Well, and if there were plenty of supplies up there, why wouldn't they just like call NASA and be like, Hey, it's Peter Corbo. <laughs> Remember how I arranged a mission for these crazy mutants? Well, we need another ship up here. Well, right, exactly. I, I think you know someone would fly up and get him or something like that. Right. Or could you call the Avengers? I think they have some Skrull spaceships that they could fly up here. Worst case scenario, he has to fly the S.H.I.E.L.D. ship down to Earth. Yeah, I mean, the space station should have some level of propulsion, right? I don't, I don't know. Might take a couple of months, but you'd get over there. I guess what I'm saying here is that maybe it's not getting good, because like, these guys don't even make an attempt to try to contact Earth. Oh, unless maybe the sunflowers, sunflowers, the sun flares <laughs> were blocking their communication, which is, I think, what was established last issue. Well, not only that, but Banshee makes a huge big deal out of the thing and says, uh, I, I think uh, we better quit jabbering and get out of here because the whole station, this whole section of the space platform is ablaze and the fire's spreading and it's going to explode any second. So they think that the Banshee has convinced everybody that the space station is going to blow up. Oh, well, okay. Fair enough. So the stakes have never been higher. And uh, it's just uh, in time here for a little German lesson. Indeed. Ich verstehen, Herr Doktor. The solar flare. Well, that's Nightcrawler, <laughs> and he says, Ich verstehen, Herr Doktor, which means, I understand, Herr Doktor. <laughs> or the doctor, or Mr. Doctor. <laughs> uh, Google Translate seems to think that doctor is not a German word. Yeah, it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there's probably different connotations and stuff, but Google thinks this is doctor. Arzt. So, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. So, a little bit of German for you today. But uh, Nightcrawler, he understands. And so does Marvel Girl. She realizes that she can block the uh, harmful radiation out of the cockpit of the ship by using her telekinesis, and she can use telepathy to gain the abilities of Peter Corbo so that she can manually fly the ship down to Earth. Which she begins doing. She she steals, uh, well, she doesn't steal, but she absorbs all of Dr. Corbo's knowledge, and Cyclops tries to stop her, 
and uh, he, he he says, and how will you survive the solar flare, you little? Yeah. And then he gets cut off. What was he going to say? You little bitch. <laughs> She's like, what? I was thinking like maybe minx or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wow, you, you really went there. He's angry. And I got a question. Uh, I thought Marvel Girl's dress was black. It is in mine. Well, what about uh, the second to last panel? That mine has green highlights. Nope, not mine. It's completely black because we established that in issue 98, she showed up with a black dress. Even the classic X-Men had her picking out the black dress over the white dress over the whatever dress. So just keep that in mind. In the omnibus, it is consistently black. Her dress is supposed to be black. Every reference of her, even in the X-Fact, well, I won't go give that away, but her dress is always black. But here it's got <laughs> green highlights, and, and we'll touch on something a little later. My telekinetic powers will screen out the harmful radiation. I'll be all right. And then uh, Cyclops refuses to let her go, and she knocks him out Yep, with a mind blast. Sure. So she orders Banshee to take him aft into one of the life cells, and Banshee does. You hit him pretty hard, Lassie. I meant to. By the time he wakes up, we'll be committed. You and me, Banshee, we're going to be committed. It's going to be awesome. Which I don't know, is that like we're in a committed relationship now? We're all committed to a sanitarium, or we're committed to this plan? I'm going to go with committed to the plan. (laughs) Okay, well, I mean, the first time I read this as a young kid, I was like, is this 70s speak for, like, boyfriend and girlfriend? But, (laughs) I mean, that doesn't make any sense, like... I'm flying the plane through the radiation. Will you be my boyfriend? Oh, it hurts. I don't know, Les. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I'm i a little too old for you, I think. And, and Moira. I'm into Moira. <laughs> Wolverine shows a teensy bit of caring, I, I guess, maybe. But uh, no, no, he doesn't. He just says, nice shot, lady. You bucking for martyr of the year or something? Make it quick, Wolverine. I'm busy. <laughs> what are you trying to prove? That you're noble and good as Big Daddy X? It's suicide, genie. Is, is Big Daddy X Professor X? I believe so. That's that's the professor's rap name. <laughs> yo, yo, I'm Big Daddy X, and I can dick over your mind. Mind wipe. With some crazy sex. It, <laughs> it is. Chicka, 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 X. Chicka, chicka, sex. Chicka, chicka. Scarlet Witch does some hex. Chicka, chicka. <laughs> wow, Adam, you're a, you're a machine. <laughs> You can call me T-Rex. Jean points out that her name is Jean and not Jeannie, and she's just about had it up to here with this little runt named Wolverine. Now get in the back before I lose my temper. Which is a really cool scene, but it's very, it, it has like nothing leading up to it. I mean, I like I like seeing Jean Grey snap at Wolverine because I know about their history. Well, their future but- Right, but this makes it, – it just comes out of nowhere. In fact, a lot of the, the – this was my major problem with this issue is that a lot of this stuff like Cyclops' extreme anger at Stephen Lang and, and Jean Grey's extreme anger at Wolverine, it, it just kind of all kind, kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean I like it. I like, I like this whole this – whole, I like this panel. Yeah, she yeah, yeah. gets in Wolverine's face, and she's like, "Shut your mouth and get into the life cell now before I lose my temper." And then the next panel, Wolverine's like slinking away. Yes. Oh, jeez. Hey, she's really <laughs> mad at me. No, I mean these last few pages, uh, like, do more for Marvel Girl's character than any issue the entire series up until now. 
Well, Marvel Girl was always the best of the bunch. Well, of course, but I mean, this has given her the strongest voice. I mean, she takes control of the comic book, the situation, everything uh, in in a way that she has never done in every uh, in any other issue up until this point. Well, up until this point, she's had a choice. Now she only sees one choice. Mm. Storm comes up, and uh, Marvel Girl's kind of like, oh, come on, not you two. We're such good friends that we haven't seen. It's all been off panel. And uh, Storm's like, yeah, I get it. I like you. Carry on. <laughs> There's a couple of tears there, and uh, Marvel Girl says, a last favor, my friend. Would you tell Scott I loved him, past tense? <laughs> like like uh, 30 days ago, but <laughs> since then it's been kind of lame. Yeah, he's really irritating. He's chewing on his fingernails lately, and it really bugs me. <laughs> well, so basically what Marvel Girl is saying to all of the X-Men is like, I can handle this, but when it gets to Storm, she's like, I'm not going to make it. So would you just go tell Scott I loved him? Right. And so Storm walks away. Marvel Girl puts up a telekinetic screen over the hole in the space shuttle and uh, uses her skills she learned from Peter Corbo to back the ship out and head towards Earth. Straight through the radioactive solar flare. We get a couple panels of Cyclops having woken up and he's, he's struggling with Nightcrawler to be allowed to go to the front to help Gene out even though he would kill them all if he did that. It's already too late, my friend. He doesn't say that. He says, my friend. Kurt, please, I beg you, please. Let me kill us all. And then we get the last few panels on Jean as she's counting down the, the minutes, 27 apparently, until Earth's atmosphere. It's all she can do is hold on. I guess she's got to keep the ship at a certain angle or something. I don't know what she's got to do. She says, only consolation is that even Colossus wouldn't have survived this long. How does she know that? <laughs> she read his mind. <laughs> oh, uh, I would not survive that long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I heard it in his thoughts. Hold on, Gene, hold on. For the love of all you hold dear, hold on. 20 minutes to go. That's got to be like the longest 20 minutes ever. Yeah, For God's sakes, it's hot in here. Oh, no, my screen's starting to give way. And then we get the unmistakable tack, 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 tack sound in the background. What, what is the tack, tack, tack sound? I don't know. It's just a neat sound, and it works well for this panel. And uh, the, the flare, the radiation is starting to get through, and she yells, Scott! Which I think is important. Yeah? Okay. And the issue is over. To be concluded. That if Scott wasn't feeling bad enough in the back, now he hears her call out her name, and he's probably like, ah! He's like, let me in! She needs me! These last couple of panels are pretty cool. They're all colored weird to give it kind of this telekinetic essence that's going on here. There's all sorts of yellows and oranges and reds and greens. And it's very line-based. Not a lot of shading. I like it. I think it's very cool. Yep. So that, that concludes issue number 100. Uh, a lot of fighting in the beginning, which was very blah, but... Uh... Well, you know, it was, it was a fighting issue. Those will happen. And, and this, was, this was a decent fighting issue. Fighting 
can be kind of boring or it can be kind of good, but I, I would say this was a, this was this was pretty good. I enjoyed this issue. It went by quickly. Fighting always goes by quickly. Fighting always does go by quickly. But I think like story wise and and moving everything forward, the last four pages definitely pushed it through. I guess like really made it a good story. Well, do do you, do you think that because you know what's happening, or do you feel like if you didn't know what's happening, you would still feel that? That's a good question. I I don't I can't separate myself from what happens next. So I don't know. It would have been interesting to be a reader in 1975 or six. Well, presumably we have all these letters. Like we've been having all these letters in the letters pages saying, "Oh, why'd you get rid of the old X Men?" And everybody was like, we, we want the old X-Men, not these new X-Men. They're kind of cool, but what about what's going on with the old X-Men? And so that's probably why they brought back the old X-Men for this issue. I've been paying attention to the letters section. Now, obviously, they're getting tons of other letters that they're not publishing. And I guess uh, in this particular issue, uh, there's a lot of praise for Chris Claremont, Dave Cockrum, the stories that they're telling and the issues that they're putting out. There was a lot of hate for Wolverine, and now there's a lot of love for Wolverine. So the tides are turning. Which is interesting. Yeah. I got a question. What year is this one from? Uh, 1976. Oh, man. And it's bi-monthly? Yeah. I just want to point out a little bit late to the game that issue number 99 would be my birth my birth year issue. Oh, really? Yeah. It was June. Oh. June 1976. So basically what that means is I need to get myself a copy of X-Men number 99. Good luck. Because <laughs> that would be as old as I am. Holding the tradies, we're looking at you. <laughs> looking at you, bud. Now he's done f- more than enough for us, more than we can ever pay back. <laughs> so, yeah, let's jump right into some uh, of our own letters. Adam, what do you, why don't you lead us out on this one? All right, well, we got, uh, we got a, uh, first we got a letter from James Tyler, a.k.a. The Kid Nixon. Oh, who uh, just wanted to write in to say that after about a month and a half of listening to the back issues, I've finally caught up with y'all. And now waiting for new episodes is the worst. (laughs) Anyway, no one else commented on it. So there are two points I wanted to mention. Y'all mentioned in passing in past episodes that I thought I'd clear up. Uh, One morph from the X-Men cartoon was not a new character. Technically, he is the changeling, a fact that I did not know. Neither did I. Uh, apparently, the codename changeling had been trademarked for by DC Comics for another character who would later become Beast Boy, who I'm familiar with from Teen Titans. It's a great show. I love Teen Titans. Anyway, and the writers decided to give him a new name and they wanted to kill him off. They wanted to kill somebody off on the first episode. And so they made him Morph. And then later, Morph would return in the... Age of Apocalypse, which we'll be getting to in 2024. <laughs> Another version of Morph, not the same Morph, appeared in the series Exile, which featured everybody traveling through time. Was that the one with Havoc or, I don't know, or was that X-Man? X-Man was the one with Havoc. I, oh, okay. I've got some Exiles comics, but I've, I've never, I've not read any of them. It's got Blink, I know that. Yeah, I just have a few issues, but I've not read them i need like a full run before i actually read them number two nightcrawler's wall crawling abilities will eventually be established this isn't worth mentioning other than the fact that it is actually a really cool power in essence kurt can subconsciously create tiny bamf portals that cause a suction effect around his hands and feet and allow him to cling to surfaces to scale them with ease 
That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, and that's pretty interesting. Uh, and I'll just maybe you know this one, Adam, and I know some of our listeners uh, know this as well. But talking about obscure powers that develop and then kind of go away, Wolverine's got one as well. And I don't remember which issue it manifests itself, but as far as I know, we'll only ever see it once. And that is? I'm not going to tell you until we get there. I just wet everybody's whistle. Well, you better not forget. I won't. I've been thinking about it, like a a number of things that have been on my mind. That's one of those things I've been thinking about since like issue 40. So I won't forget. Don't you worry about that. Just like I have a nice story prepared for next issue, but it has to wait till next issue. (laughs) No, tell it now. I cannot. Nightcrawler actually is clinging to the walls in this issue. But, you know, nothing about how he does that. It's it's very similar to how they kind of established what Cyclops, how his visor worked and stuff like that. Right. They're just kind of figuring it out. And he says, all right, that's it for now. I'm sure you guys uh, will hit you back with more X tidbits, and which is awesome. I, I hope to get some more. And uh, he's caught up and... And he's uh, he's very excited to send us emails of corrections, footnotes, and keen points, which we're looking forward to. Yeah, we we put out the call a while ago, I think, for a like a fact checker, like basically, like we can do the podcast, and then when we say something wrong, we have somebody who says ah ah ah, and then <laughs> which is like every third sentence, <laughs> and that's fine. Uh, just you know, just try not to make us feel bad as you do the ah 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 piece. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we also got another, we got a Facebook message too. And this one is from David Steele. It's a sweet name. Great name. It's either a porn star. <laughs> or a superhero. Or, or a superhero. I will go with superhero. All right. Maybe porn star great. superhero. <laughs> porn star by day, crime fighter by night. I'm <laughs> Mr. Steele. I just listened to your latest podcast following the recommendation of my friend, Peter Watson. Thank you, Peter Thank you, Watson. Peter. It, it was very interesting and entertaining, especially the observations on Wolverine at that point in his development. And your Jean Grey voice is hilarious. Thank you. Thank you. It's probably, wow. That was a deep one there. <laughs> I know my throat kind of hurts from that Wolverine voice I pulled out <laughs> earlier. Best regards, David Steele, Glasgow, Scotland. We we need to go to Glasgow and, and go to a comic convention or something. It's official. We have like a gazillion fans there. We are huge in Glasgow. We got to go to Forbidden Planet and oh. I, hope, I hope that's where the name of the place is. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and, and do some signings there. <laughs> I don't know what we would sign, but maybe we could bring... Some microphones, or I don't know. <laughs> we get signed cop like CDRs of our podcast, like yeah. the, the lamest giveaway ever. <laughs> Here's some recorded podcasts on a CD. Thanks for listening. Can you buy us lunch? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's what we got for, for this week. If you want to chime in and, and uh, have your two cents listed on the uh, Danger Room podcast, just send us an email at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. Or you can visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com and you can see all of the episodes. And you can make a comment directly on an episode if you would like. Or you can go to www.facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast and post a comment in there. Or you can follow our Twitter feed, which is at Danger Room Go. And we also have a voicemail number, which you can call, and you can record your own intro, anecdotes, your favorite line of dialogue, and that is 
501 get x-men uh, which i believe it's sounds like a long distance number but uh, in this day and age if you call from a cell phone i believe it's free cool so there you go everybody thank you david Steele. by the way I don't, I don't remember if we thanked you or not but thanks for listening you were our 101st facebook like so we did it we broke 100 uh mark mcmahon or mcmahon was our 100th like guy so the, he gets his name mispronounced on air and and for what and what most of you may not know is when you break that 100th threshold uh on your your page uh, uh mark zuckerberg comes to your house with a little balloon that says 100 in our case he had to come to both of our houses it was it was pretty nice he's here now actually listening <laughs> to the podcast i asked him if he would say something but he he shook his head no oh uh, yeah he's drunk in the corner <laughs> He's petting the dog. Thank you for using my creation. <laughs> Give me some more mad dog. <laughs> okay, well, that brings us to the uh, as of yet unnamed classic portion of the show. It's Classic X-Men number eight, which is the April 1987 Classic X-Men issue. And I have to say that Art Adams has phoned in most of this cover. <laughs> Uh, spoiler warning for this segment. This issue is heavily spoiler-filled of classic X-Men. So if you do not want to know what happens, you really do not want to listen to this segment of the show. If you want to be surprised to read along uh, as we're reading early issues, this issue is filled with a retcon and a half. <laughs> you think that there's people that are listening that like have no idea what happens next? I don't know. I would like to think so. That would be neat. It would be neat if there's some some very young person who whose only familiarity with the X Men is you know issue five thirty and above, and and perhaps just the new series of Uncanny X Men, who's listening for the first time and is like, you know, who's this Jean Grey person? <laughs> She's not in my comic books. If if that is you, well, technically she is in his comic books if he's still reading, but. If that's you, dear listener, then I highly recommend you do not listen to this segment. But for the rest of you, uh, let's go on. Uh, Professor X, uh, Lorna Dane, and Nightcrawler, and Angel, and Storm look good, but the rest of the X-Men look like hell. Oh, is this the cover you're talking about? Yeah, it's the cover. Uh, and it's kind of a mock-up of the same thing. It's got the old X-Men fighting the new X-Men. But really, I guess what I wish Art Adams would have done would have just paid homage to the original cover. Because the original cover, I mean, as much crap as we've given Dave Cockrum for his covers, is pretty iconic. That's true. You're wearing a T-shirt of it. I am wearing a T-shirt of it. But I'm not wearing a T-shirt of this cover. And this cover pales in comparison to it. So, like, if Art Adams could have just redrawn... Like, you know how Todd McFarlane basically redraws that same Spider-Man cover with Spawn or whoever he's mm -hmm. got, uh, whatever character du jour he has? Like, that's It's not he... even him half the time anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody's doing that same pose that he drew way back when. I mean, Art Adams should have just done that here, and that would have been really cool. But instead... You got a terrible looking like his arm. Look at Colossus's arm. Oh, I've already gone past the cover. His, the back, I'm not going back. His arm that that he would have pulled back, ready to punch, is like bigger than his forearm, which is in the foreground. It's, All right, it's I'm going bad. back. You you made me. It is it is a very Liefeld esque arm. And then you open up to the table of contents, and Marvel Girl looks like 
crap. They all look like crap. Oh, man. She's like pouting. She's like, don't mess with me, boys. And her little her little Wolverine spikes or whatever, they're like... They're gigantic. They're huge. Her whole body is huge. Now, I get it. She's in the foreground, but she's like twice the size of the professor. I do like <clears throat> Beast's teeth in this, though. Yeah, he reminds me of somebody that has yet to be created in, in the comic universe, but I can't remember who. Mojo? Yeah, it's a Mojo smile, but that's not who I was thinking of. But yeah, we'll go with that. Cameron Hodge? Uh, yeah, Cameron Hodge also sports that same smile. I guess it's a very common <laughs> smile. It's evil looking. Well, uh, James Sherman will be helping us out for the uh, crap that they insert. I mean, the uh, extra bonus material. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty crappy, this issue. Um, we start with page 12 where, man, I don't know, Stephen Lang is talking to some guy on his smaller Vizzy screen while he's watching his X-Men get pummeled, his X-Sentinels get pummeled. And man, this drawing is just bad news. Let's set this up, though. This happens right after the double-page spread of Stephen Lang is pumping his arms. That's where this first page takes place. So Wolverine just sliced up Jean Grey. Yeah. Who is in the next pan... Like, like this artist didn't even... <laughs> like read the fact that oh hey Jean Grey's dead I'm gonna I'm gonna put her in this next panel though because because she didn't look that dead I like how Wolverine's upside down in the busy screen <laughs> yeah you're right Wolverine's upside down Marvel Girl is fighting we don't know who but this would have been like minutes after Wolverine sliced up Marvel Girl and right uh, and Cyclops is doing the electric boogaloo oh and look Beast's head's been punched off. Yeah. Well, this yeah. this panel's way out of context. Yeah. You know, like, in the intro to the Marvel Masterworks, the Silver Edition, Chris talks a lot about, like, listen to me, I'm, like, on a first-name uh, basis. With <laughs> Mr. Claremont of uh, X-Men fame goes on to talk about some of his pacing issues and some of his greenness to drawing comics and how, uh, he you know, he had some uh, continuity issues and stuff. And so you would think that these would be his attempt to solve those? I mean, do you think he and the artist just never spoke? I don't know. Because Chris, Chris Claremont, Mr. Claremont, wrote this like with the intent of... I mean, the, the whole page here is set up to show that the power is fluctuating in the space station. And because the space station is power is fluctuating, that gives Cyclops the uh, ability to uh, exploit its weakness and blast through the negatube. That's all this page does, yet everything's out of context. <laughs> like, uh, I think even Havoc's guts are ripped out here. I'm not sure, but like, they didn't talk. Well, it's like the guy never read the issue or something. Right. The only thing that they wanted to do is fix the reason, like, because when you see Cyclops blasting out of the negatube, you're like, well, how did he do that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Why didn't he do this earlier? Which is why I'm thinking Chris wrote this page is to be like, okay, let's 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 make this more realistic. But instead, they just ruined the whole thing. And apparently, people are escaping. He says, um, "If you're so scared, Techno, I guess this guy's name is Techno. Why don't you abandon ship?" So I don't know if there's like escape hatches or who these people are. I think Techno is like his a, a nickname for his position. In the first panel, is Cyclops doing a Scooby-Doo tiptoe, or is he moonwalking? He's doing a Scooby-Doo tiptoe, but his mask doesn't look like classic Cyclops mask. No, it looks like right. new Cyclops mask. So, oh man, this guy's just not even trying. 
So that's it. Uh, that's what builds up the power to blast through the negatube. And then we move on to what, page 16? Page 15, actually. Is it? It's kind of, it's another one of those twofers where they interrupt mid-page to add some elements. Right. The first panel is where Dr. Stephen Lang crashes into the busy screen in his little flyer there. And then the next few panels are new, uh, five panels. Yep. And uh, there he is. I'm... I'm alive, says Stephen Lang, covered in debris. Thanks to my telekinetic protective field, unlike you, Lang, the X-Men don't kill. So I guess that's the purpose of this, is that otherwise it looked like Jean Grey smashed him into the wall. Yeah, it looked like Jean Grey murdered Stephen Lang in in the X-Men, which is fine, whatever. I mean, the guy kidnaps them and and builds mock-ups of them. I mean, he deserved to die anyways. But for some reason, somebody felt compelled to be like, no, 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 no. He, he, Marvel Girl didn't kill Stephen Lang. But what happens, and the weird thing is, is like, okay, uh, she's like, you're going to go back. You're going to go back to Earth and stand trial. And Stephen's like, oh, I can't wait. Uh, what? Who's going to convict me? And at that point, something explodes, and we never see Stephen Lang again. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. I guess what exploded was the X, the other X-Men entering the room. Yeah. I can't really tell. Colossus, uh, I think it says, it says scram and Marvel girl goes Lang! as she telekinetically protects the rest of the people that are in the room. And that's when Colossus barges through with Banshee and Wolverine cutting their way through the wall. And then Wolverine says uh, the most confusing line of dialogue ever. Propellant explosion. Biggest one yet. Punch the heart of the monk, this monkey house. Fire spreading our way. Move it, chums. I, what is this? I, I, don't, I don't understand. Apparently Wolverine knows all about space stations and <laughs> propellant explosions. But, I mean, talk about pacing problems. Uh, so you go from this panel, which features Banshee, Colossus, and Wolverine slicing their way through a wall going back to the original comic book in which you have banshee nightcrawler and colossus talking about how they've found them like where did wolverine go i don't know and why would you show like the exact same thing twice only one horribly drawn and it's confusing because i can't tell if if the scram is the x-men entering the room or if it's a cut Away to the X-Men that also heard the explosion. Maybe that was a propellant explosion. Right. right. I think that was, yeah, I think that's what's happening. There. Okay. So we went from one confusing death of, oh my God, Marvel Girl killed Stephen Lang to uh, maybe a propellant explosion killed him, but we don't know. Two things about the scram panel. One, Marvel Girl's dress totally flies up over her thighs. Ooh, you can see some underwear, like a shadow yeah, of underwear. Yeah, that, that's just awful. That's sexy. And then uh, two, look at the professor and Peter Corbo. Peter Corbo looks like like a 80s punk, <laughs> and the, the professor is like holding his head upside down. He's unconscious. Yeah, he's he's kind of like in a fetal position, if you will. Yeah, this is bad. It's not good. So that pretty much takes care of that. Uh, I do have to point out that Marvel Girl's costume in this classic X-Men issue is black with some blue highlights. And blue they typically use for black highlighting anyways. Which is what it was in the Omnibus. It was black with uh, kind of grayish, dark, like it was a grayer blue than this. I only point that out because... 
Well, as we go to the classic X-Men section, her costume will change colors. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing to note is that for some reason they get rid of the to be concluded. I'm not even sure why I bother noting that. Oh, that is an interesting note. And the coloring in the classic X-Men on the last page is not nearly as cool. It's all fiery. It's all fiery in my Marvel Masterworks, too. Oh, really? Yours isn't fiery? In the Omnibus, it's all like... There's yellows and oranges and greens and purples, and it's really cool. It's very reminiscent of that uh, Neil Adams stuff. Oh. The the, the very psychedelic coloring that they did. In the Mass Marvel Masterworks, that big panel of the ship crashing through the atmosphere with Jean Grey's profiles, all orange and red. No, I don't like that at all. I like it I like it way better when it's all colorful. And then the next couple of panels add some more purple to it, but there's no green in here. Hmm. Weird. Oh, interesting. Bunch of coloring issues. Well, anyways, let's uh let's just jump right on over to the story. We get some portraits of the X-Men circa issue 100, brought to you by Dave Cockrum. Marvel Girl in this one is wearing her Phoenix costume and she looks like she's eating a bunch of cookies. I don't know why, but she just has chubby cheeks. Wolverine's drinking a beer. It's shaped like a like a cup. The top is a little wider than the bottom. It is, but I think this is a steel can, as was the case back in the seventies. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a with a whole pull tab and everything. Well, I don't know. The story probably has a name, but I don't think it says it here. So I let's look that up. This is our our last spoiler warning. Yeah, if you if you want to turn back now, now's the time to do it because yeah, because we're about to reveal a lot of stuff that we're not going to be revealing for quite a long time. Yep. If you just want to do it the regular way. Yep. So, the story is called Apparently, this story is called Phoenix. Oh. Which I believe is the very last thing this said. Oh, okay. Well, it's uh, it's space. There's space. There's like Saturn and some other planets and a sun exploding or something. And there's some words. Basically, this story takes place at exactly where we left off. We actually get a couple of recap scenes of Cyclops fighting his way to, to try and save Jean Grey. We get a shot of all the X-Men just kind of hanging out. Sitting in the back room there. In the life cell. Wolverine's very sullen. He's he's just got his arms crossed and he's like, I don't want to go out there. This is this is lame. I she, hate this mission. She just yelled at me. I'm I'm not happy right now. <laughs> so the story really kind of starts, at least for me, on page three, in which Marvel Girl's wearing a green dress. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it is green. It's not even like black with highlighted greens, it's green highlighted black. But I do have to say, she looked good. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> Art Adams knows how to draw a a good Marvel no, this girl. Is, uh, this is not Art Adams. This is uh, I'm sorry. His name John Bolton. John Bolton. Apologies. Yeah. She thinks a lot of things here. She's whatever. She's talking about how powerful the uh, the solar flares are and uh, how she would have a better chance uh, surviving an H bomb. But she's committed. Calling back to that word. All or nothing, throw of the dice, for the X-Men's sakes, for Scott, she thinks. And then she says out loud, I have to win! (laughs) To which the people in the lifestyle are like, what? Are we winning? (laughs) I want to win! 
we get some banter that she's in uh, inside the life cell and she's she's apparently over overhearing everybody with her telekinesis and uh this this bottom panel of her is is very very nice well so apparently flying through the atmosphere and being exposed to all that radiation gives you a super orgasm yeah she's like doing a full body arc and like us it's 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 one of those things like it's it's a typical comic book thing where like all men that draw comic books are all comic book boys that are watching like to see their women in as awkward positions as possible that very rarely do actual women ever get in but boy we wish they did this panel as pretty as it is is just ridiculous <laughs> Yes, yes. But it's beautiful. It's it is a gorgeous panel, but she's in pain, which is which makes it awkward too cuz you're kind of like, "Wow, she's sexy," but if you read it, she's like, "Oh my god, it hurts." <laughs> so, you And this is where she screams, "Scott!" Yeah, so that's kind of ties it into the last story. And basically from here on out, she starts melting. Yeah, she gets really old, her hair burns up and uh her body withers away and she becomes like a, a, a almost a skeleton. She's very zombie like and her her bracelets disappear. But that's irrelevant. Uh <laughs> well they fall off of her arms. Oh they do? Okay, good. <laughs> On page uh, five, they're kind of floating okay. in the foreground. But it's like she's um uh withering away because of the uh radiation, I believe. Right. The the radiation has hit her and was causing her to become a skeletal zombie. But she begins floating in the air and a a essence or a life force or some sort of thing enters the room and starts communicating with her. And she thinks she's a little crazy. Yeah. She's talking to it. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do when you're frying yourself up? And, well, all this time that she's floating around and talking to the strange presence, who's flying the ship? Uh, the presence. Oh, Okay. I mean, we know we know a little bit about the presence, so we, we, we know that it has these weird capabilities. So the presence here spends a lot of time convincing uh, Jean Grey, who's melting away, as we mentioned, to... Uh... In fact, I bet this is, like, out of time, so actually all of this is happening in, like, a second. You're probably right. Well, I don't know, because it ties up interestingly at the end, but the presence is trying to convince Jean to trust her, basically. Trust it. Yeah, she basically says, "Look, your body, your body is done for, but I can heal you, but it's going to take time. But if you want that, we're going to have to become one and the same." Right. You are human, Jean Grey. I am of creation, whatever that means. Uh, this is where the zombie gene realizes that the form is taking Jean's presence, uh, but apparently gene that's melting away can't comprehend of it so she's unable to take full form quite yet i guess you called child of man and i mother of stars answered it is for you to name your heart's desire and i'll get my wish just like that why do i suspect that's too good to be true But Jean does say, if the power, it's too much beyond comprehension. Suppose I can't handle it. I'm not worthy. How can I accept? (laughs) (laughs) And the presence says, you know the answer already, else you wouldn't have summoned me. I'm afraid. With good reason. So it's kind of like she's establishing, like, I don't know, man. What is the phrase? 
absolute power corrupts absolutely or something like that. And she's kind of mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I can handle all that power. And this presence is like, meh, you'll do just fine. Don't worry about it. What's <laughs> the worst that could possibly happen? To save the X-Men, I'd dance with the devil himself. And I want to live. Mm-hmm. And all things are possible, child. And you may yet dance with the devil without and the far more terrible one within. Oh, okay. I guess that's herself, because maybe she's the devil. Hmm. So uh, they take each other's hands, and the kind of body, the withered away body of Jean floats away as Jean's consciousness enters into this strange presence, and she starts seeing basically through its eyes that she can see the solar winds, the, the radiation, the star song, the language of the Milky Way. And then she looks down and she's like, whoa, is that me? Whoa, I didn't think there'd be a body. Like, she almost thought that uh, her body would go into this body or something. And it's at this point that Jean, this, I guess I get a little confused here. Basically, with how all the stories have been written. But it's as if Jean's personality has left this dead body, gone into the presence, and then... Gene in the presence has created a cocoon for her old body. Right, to, to, to heal. That was part of the agreement, is that the body would be healed. But we know that that's not kind of... I mean, we know that a cocoon was created. Uh, we know that probably the Phoenix created it. But what isn't quite so clear is I, I kind of thought that there was like a like a, a severance or a like they had like their personalities like merged and then they were severed. But this is kind of making it seem like Jean transferred her personality into this presence and is now controlling the phoenix. Oh, I mean the presence. <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> Spoiler. We find that we find out on the next page that it is indeed the the, the phoenix. Oh, okay. I am phoenix. She does say, uh, "I am fire, the soul and spirit of life incarnate, now and forever. I am phoenix." So. Whatever. Yeah, this has to happen outside of time because the Phoenix is speaking out loud and the X-Men would be like, what's going on in there? <laughs> they sure are talking a lot. The hell? Who the hell is she talking to? Yeah, uh, out of time is fine, except, I mean, it can't quite be out of time because she makes that cocoon for uh, herself. Unless maybe that's all part of the the dream or the out of timeness. And Yeah, it's a little weird like that. So, I don't know. I guess this kind of starts uh, a whirlwind of Phoenix mania, if you will. This is like a total retcon issue. Uh, this is like X-Factor came in and they were like, we want to bring Jean Grey back. And I guess Chris Claremont, which is, this is interesting, Chris, Chris Claremont was totally against that. He was like, no, I, 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 I killed her off. Spoiler warning. Yep, she's dead. And I want her to stay dead. And uh, Marvel was like, well, we want to bring back the original five X-Men and have X-Factor. So let's figure out a way to bring Jean Grey back. And so they created this whole Phoenix story. And apparently Chris Caravant decided, well, it's happening. So I'm going to write it in this issue of classic X-Men. This issue of classic X-Men, does it coincide with X-Factor 1? I had no idea. Oh, that's fine. You don't have to look it up. They're right about the same time, though. I mean, obviously, this story was written after X Factor One. I, I would assume. I guess that's an interesting question. 
Well, this one was April 1987, as you mentioned. Yes. Is that what you said? That is what I said. And uh, X Factor came out in February of 1986. Okay. So, yeah, it was about a year after X Factor started. Yeah. Okay. So it was probably, yeah, because then the Fantastic Four issues where Jean Grey was rediscovered were probably, if not that month, then the month prior. Right. So, yeah, it's been like maybe a year and a half. I don't know. I, I guess I just got done reading the X-Men versus the Avengers storyline, which is all about Phoenix, and they keep using that stupid life incarnate now and forever line. And you just got to be wondering, like, does Chris Claremont get a nickel any every time they write those lines? And, and there's also some other miniseries. I mean, as long as we're in the spoiler section, there's like the Phoenix War song and the Phoenix End song and all these various – and I, I just – for me, I just wish, like – this Phoenix story would have happened and it would have gone away. Yeah. Well, all the best stories get rewritten a gazillion times. Even if they brought back Marvel girl, which I thought was a clever retcon when they did it in X factor one. I I just, I thought that was just clever, but of course at the time that I read that I was 12. So what, what did I know? And and maybe what, if I reread it now, I'd be like, that's stupid, but who knows? Uh, Even with all keeping all of that, the way that they did it, and then just like being like, man, that Phoenix thing, that was awful. I'm glad we don't have to deal with that anymore, but never actually having more people become in- infected or, or whatever corrupted, I guess I should say, by the Phoenix. Or having Gene like latently develop more Phoenix stuff. It just, just, it, I don't know, it bugs me. It's worn out. It, yeah, it gets, it gets complicated. It gets old. So anyways, uh, but I'm looking forward to to this Phoenix series because honestly, the only uh, medium I've read of what we're reading up to now is the old essentials. So it'll, it'll be fun to read them in a colorful Marvel Masterworks presentation. Yes, agreed. I have only read them in essentials as well. On that note, I think we've beaten this horse uh, way past being dead. <laughs> a quick quick recap of where Beast is in Avengers. Avengers number 139 and 140. Uh, Hank Pym and Janet Pym get sick, and Beast saves them. Uh, he goes back to the Brand Corporation where they get a, we get a flashback where he got fired for disappearing all the time. And he gets really mad, and he throws things around. So he breaks back into the brand corporation and does some research and uh, figures out a way to save them. And uh, he's also Patsy Walker. Do you remember her? I do not. Patsy Walker was the woman who discovered that the beast, remember beast was sitting on her couch in her house and her husband was the guy that the brand corporation hired because the beast showed up. Yes. I now remember that person. She showed up in the Avengers now, and she's looking for Beast, very similar to the way that Vera was looking for Beast in those in those previous Beast issues. Oh, okay. So that's where we are with the Beast and the Avengers, and you know, do some quick recaps of those issues from now and now, two issues at a time. Okay, fair enough. Well, folks, uh, thanks for your time, and until next time, the Danger Room is closed. 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99.